Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Some of y'all are about ready to sit down and have coffee right now together. That's good. Hey, y'all look good this morning. I know most of you. My name is Jeff Mears. I lead, my wife and I lead the, um, there's a big echo up on the stage. Um, my wife and I lead the worship ministry at Canvas Church. We, yeah, we like it. Um, we've been here about five and a half years. We moved back to San Diego just over five and a half years ago. And um, man, we think we have the best church in the world. We love it here. Right? And uh, Pastor Ben and Katie, when we were coming back, it was a difficult, it was a challenging time for us in our lives. And they just opened up their arms to us and brought so much grace and warmth and welcoming. And that was five and a half years ago. And, and man, we're never, this is it. I, I think we're lifers. Uh, I don't plan on ever, I don't even want to move anywhere because of this church. You know what I'm saying? So I know many of you have experienced that same thing, that same warmth and openness. And it might not be Pastors Ben and Katie for you. It might be uh, someone else who you've met in this church. And that's as we all uh, just express the love and, and warmth and welcoming of God. This is a, a place where we all belong. I love our church. Come on. Okay. I just got to start with that. So I get to preach this morning. And um, Pastor Ben, it's still so funky up here. The noise, the sound, there's like this. Uh, so I have, I have ADHD. And uh, we're just going to start with transparency. Let's try that. Check it, check it. Check one, two. Is this? All right, let's do that. I'm going to keep this in case I decide to sing. It has all the extra reverb on it to make me sound good. So <laughs> we're just going to start with transparency. When there's weird noises, my brain is just like, is there. It's gone. So if you want to derail the message today, just sit in the corner and like whistle or hum, and it's all over. Um, and everyone else, just pray for me. Okay, Pastor Ben asked me to preach a message um, about pursuing God through praise. And um, I'm excited to, to share it. But before we do, I want to tell you a little bit about, um, about my family and something we do every single Saturday. Hannah and I have had a connection over, over worship and music for years and years, and that's kind of like the way we connect. And for years, Hannah will send me songs or song lists or playlists, uh, and we connect that way. With my boys... Um, we, every Saturday, we do football. Uh, it's flag football, but it's intense. Don't, don't think that it's not. It's flag football. We've been playing for six seasons together. And uh, could you throw me a water, Ben? We've been playing for six seasons together. Thank you, sir. And Judah, is Judah in the room today? I didn't even ask him if I could share this. He's our defensive coordinator. And so Judah, at age 14, began being our defensive coordinator. Now he's 16, uh, and he is amazing. And then Jensen, he's our quarterback, and he's a little, uh, I don't know, Peyton Manning, maybe Joe Montana uh, in the making. He's phenomenal. And then I get out there, and honestly, I don't do much. Yesterday, last week, they actually called almost all the plays on their own. I just sit on the sideline and uh, coach with a friend of mine. So when... When Judah is our defensive coordinator, age 16, it's very frustrating to these other coaches because we shut out teams over and over and over. And Judah has this scheme. He has, two seasons ago, we shut out every single, no one scored a point against us in the regular season. And that's a 16-year-old, and he has this, this scheme he's taught these kids, and it's blue and green. And he's got blue heavy, uh, green heavy. He's got, he's got all these different variations. And the point of it is, 
How many of you all have played, a, uh, played football? Awesome. So there's a little bit of a, of a, uh, a give and take where you're watching to see how, how the defense lines up when you're on offense, and you might quick call some audibles and adjust, right? And if you're on defense, you look at how the, uh, how the offense lines up, and last week, the, the defense against us, we kept yelling, smash, smash, right, smash. And after a while, they're like, oh, they're doing a jet sweep to the right, and all their guys are just knocking us over, and they're running through. And so pretty soon, their defense, when, we, when they hear us like, smash, smash, right, calling the audible, they're like, they're going to run it to the right. And then their whole defense adjusts, right? And so then we start working on some play action stuff, going the other way. And it's this whole game, this give and take, and it's really, really fun um, right? Are you all with me? That's a good time. The enemy in our lives is a little bit like that defense that keeps adjusting, right? And so, like, have you ever noticed this? When you are, when you're having a bad day, maybe, maybe you lashed out at your wife or your child or your parent or someone at work, or maybe you're, you're stuck in some repetitive rut of, uh, of brokenness and sin, and you keep acting out in the same way, and you're just beat up, and you're feeling shame, Anybody ever felt shame? Gosh, man, I've, I've felt that shame. And, and so then the enemy uses that shame to say, oh, you're not good enough. You can't connect. The enemy's whole goal is to disconnect us from God. If he can disconnect us from the presence of God, we can keep on our track of behavior modification and, and legalism and rules and think we're doing good. But if he can disconnect us from the presence of God, man, we're, he's got us right where he wants us. And so he'll use shame to do that right? And so, man, I feel so, so ashamed. And now I don't want to worship. I don't even want to go to, has any, oh, you don't have to raise your hands on this. Has anyone ever felt so ashamed of something, so much shame about something that's happening in your life that you didn't even want to go to church that Sunday? <laughs> yeah, Pastor Ben, right? You don't want to preach that Sunday? Me too. Sometimes it's stuff that happens in the car on the way to church. I'm just like, oh, I can't worship, right? And so the enemy's like, oh yeah, you can only, you can only be connected to God when your life is good right? That's him. That's him adjusting to what he sees in your life. But then when life is good, the enemy's like, Psh, you don't need him. Forget about that. You only need him when your life is bad. You see what I'm, you see where I'm going with this? Like the defense, he's like, okay, if everything's good, now we just forget about him. I've been there. Some of us have been there. We're like, man, life's going good and I'm not in a place of desperation. I got money. I got relationships. My shoulders are high. I'm feeling good. And I just kind of forget about my need for God. And that's the tool the enemy uses then. And so there's this, whatever we're facing in life, the enemy kind of adjusts his schemes. He might tell you something completely opposite just to dis disconnect you. And um, today as we talk about worship and how worship connects us to God, how we pursue God through praise, it's the secret weapon. So on our football team, these kids, okay, these kids are from age 9 to 13. And some of them are like a few weeks before their 14th birthday, right? Now, I don't know how much you know about human development, but a lot happens to a young man between the age of 9 and 14, right? And we're not going to break that down right now, but I'll tell you this. When you've got a 13-year-old against a 9-year-old, and you're like, hey, 9-year-old, go cover that kid. And the kid, you know, his eyes are big, and he's scared. So we, 
we play a team uh, yesterday. It's the only team that has beat us this season. I'm frustrated about it. Um, and they have this kid, Lorenzo. And Lorenzo, I swear he's like 20. <laughs> he's got a little mustache starting. I, lo I love the kid. I love him when we're not playing football. When we're playing football, I just I can't handle this kid. And uh, I, 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 wanna, I told his dad I want to see his birth certificate. But no matter how good our defensive scheme is, when we've got nine-year-olds trying to chase down a 14-year-old, and this 14-year-old is like the most athletic 14-year-old you've ever met, these guys, they, keep, they beat us twice this season. We're going to see them in the championship, and I, I don't know how we're going to take them out. Like, I, I don't know. You know, there's some ethical issues here. I don't know if it's okay to make a 14-year-old kid sick. I'm not sure. But, but he's the secret weapon. And regardless of the adjustments that the defense makes, they still score on us because they have this secret weapon. And I want to tell you today, the secret weapon for us, no matter if you're in shame or life is going and you forget, is praise. When we come and you see through scripture from, from Abraham, actually, and Moses, and David, and you go, and Jesus, and Paul and Silas, no matter how good or bad things are, when we praise, God connects us to him. He says that he's enthroned in the praises of his people. He abides there. And that's why, um, that's why it's important. That's why this every week is important. Because when we engage in praise, when we begin to open our mouth and acknowledge him and sing about who he is, it connects us to him. And it doesn't matter if life is good or bad. And so today... I want to talk about, uh, I want to look at the life of Abraham, and I want to spend more time talking about Abraham's story than my football stories. I think that will serve all of us better. Um, and Abraham, Abraham in Genesis 12, he gets this amazing promise from God, and, and most of us are familiar with that promise, and, uh, and we'll, we'll read through it in a minute. And then he goes on this journey. And this is a journey of like, I mean, you would almost look at it as, as bi a bipolar journey. You know, there, there are these manic, this isn't, I mean, these are, these are real moments, but there's these moments where it's like, I promise you that your descendants will be greater than the, than the sand, right? Like, or than all the stars. Like, that's a moment. If that's not real, that's manic, but it's real, and we've seen God work it out. It's this high mountaintop, and you know what Abraham does? says that he goes and he builds an altar to praise God. And then you have moments, and we'll get into them in a minute, uh, where Abraham just does some stupid stuff. And, and he was in a, I have empathy for him, he's in some hard situations. How many of you have made some, some bad, dumb decisions because you were in a bad situation, right? Abraham does some of that. And you know what he does when he's done? He just builds an altar and goes to praise God. And so we're going to look at the story of Abraham today, but first I want to break down praise a little bit. Let's start with Genesis 12, verse 1. Genesis 12, verse 1. So the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's a big promise, right? So Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he began to pursue this promise of God. Next slide. 
So when he set out from Haran, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Law, all the possessions that he accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Let's pray and then we'll dig in. God, I thank you that you're in this place. I thank you that you meet us at every stop along the journey, the good, the bad, the ugly. I pray that today you would uh, you would give me the words to say that would connect deeply to the heart of every person in this room, God, that we would be changed, that we'd be transformed by your word and by your presence, God. We love you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. amen. Awesome. So Abraham begins his journey by building this altar. I want to go to Hosea 14, and the altar is a place of praise. It's a place of acknowledgement. It's a place of glorifying God for who he is. And, um, I just want to connect the idea of sacrifice at an altar to praise for a minute. I love this verse, and I'm so excited I get to share it with you. Um, this is the New King James Version. Take the words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all my iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. So up until this point, when Hosea speaks this, when people think of sacrifices, for the most part, um, they think about an actual animal sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And so Hosea introduces this new idea, and David had talked about it, alluded to it before, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Go to the next slide. Hosea 14.2 in the King James Version. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, so we will render the calves of our lips... And this is, a, this is a more literal translation than the word, uh, than the, the, the previous one. The calves of our lips. What the heck is this talking about, right? Like, how weird is this? In their mind, the idea of a sacrifice was an animal sacrifice. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a calf, it was a bull, it was a dove. It was an animal sacrifice. And here Hosea says, we render... The calves of our lips. One of the weirdest verses in all of Scripture, if you just read it on its own. Let's go forward to Hebrews chapter 13. Now, Hebrews is a book that talks all about Jesus, the once and for all offering, and, uh, and the priesthood of believers. Now, now we are the priesthood of believers. We can go right before the presence of God, and that, that's the whole picture. It's talking about these sacrifices, but it's saying that Jesus is the once and for all. And then Hebrews 13 direct quotes Hosea, and he says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of what? The fruit of lips that openly profess, profess his name. And so we've gone from the Old Testament, which was, which was cows and, and doves and bulls, to the New Testament where he says, Hey, here's how you sacrifice now. Jesus paid the price for salvation. That's done. Once and for all but continually come before me, open your lips with praise. And that's a New Testament sacrifice. Uh, when Ben asked me to preach about praise, to be honest, I have a little bit of an odd relationship with the word praise. And um, I think it's because I, you know, I grew up as a Christian and, I, and there was a lot of like, well, praise the Lord or, 
or uh, PTL. Anybody get a PTL? That was before there were texts like, you know, FWIW or what. PTL was like the original text abbreviation. It meant praise the Lord. And it almost felt really trite or like this kind of like trite Christianese way to say like something good happened. Well, PTL, you know. And so it, it was a little bit, a little bit odd for me to dive in uh, to, to use that word. And so as I dug in and recognized praise as this idea of acknowledgement, uh, is pretty powerful for me. Uh, I want to put this quote up here. The sacrifice of praise is an altar we build at each step in our journey. And I wanted just to lay that, the connection between sacrifice and praise as we look at the altars. Um, because for us, the sacrifice of praise, which for us is literally, it, it has to come out of our lips. That's what it is. It's, we, can't come, we can't come here and bring sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, without actually making sound and without it, it coming out. I'll just leave that there for a second. Um, okay, so Abraham, Sarah, he builds this altar. They go on. Um, they're not like super wealthy, but they're doing it, you know, and they, um, they're, they're nomads. They're kind of wandering around. And all of a sudden, there's a famine. And that's why Ben preached last week. I've been fighting this for a few weeks. There's a famine, and they're getting kind of desperate. And there's, this is a part of the story we forget sometimes. But, but Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, they're desperate. They're getting hungry. They're getting worried that there's not going to be enough food for them or the people that are with them. And so they go, to, they go all the way down to Egypt. And when they get to Egypt... And we have to put ourselves in Abraham's perspective. This is maybe not a refugee perspective, but pretty darn close. It's a, like, we are at your mercy kind of perspective. Like, here I come, me, all my friends, all my employees, we're all together. And we're like, dude, we're going to die. We're going to go to the Pharaoh and just hope he has mercy. And Abraham's wife was hot. Um, she, was, she was beautiful. She was 65 years old. Um, and the Bible says, and if, uh, there's a, I'm not going to go into like aging and time uh, today, but, but maybe she was like equivalent to like 35, 40 years old today. And uh, you can do your own study on that. And, um, and so they show up and Abraham knows in advance this is going to be an issue. So before they even get there, he's like, hey, hey, babe, we need to have a conversation. I don't know how this went. I don't know how I would have this talk. And he says... So, you know how, like, technically you're my half-sister? Um, when we go there, I'm just going to say you're my sister, okay? Because if I say you're my wife, and here we come as refugees, and this Pharaoh um, <clears throat> is a bad dude, and he is probably going to just kill me and take you because you're so beautiful. I don't think in that moment she was like, oh, he thinks I'm beautiful. <laughs> but she, you know, she, so they go... <clears throat> They're in survival mode. They're going to die in the desert if they can't get food from somewhere. So they go, and he says, yeah, this is my sister. And Pharaoh takes, takes Sarah as his wife. And all of a sudden, bad stuff starts happening to Pharaoh. The plagues, people start getting diseases and start getting sick. And um, Pharaoh discovers that Sarah is Abraham's husband, not his sister. And he, get, he goes to Abraham and just says, you lied to me get the heck out of here. And Abraham takes Sarah <clears throat> and they head out and they have all the gold and silver and all the stuff that Pharaoh gave them they get to keep, which is 
uh, which is kind of cool if you think about it. And it, there's some foreshadowing there of what happens later with the plagues and Egypt and Pharaoh and then, and then the Israelites being able to leave um, with all this wealth that God gave them. Um, and so Abraham leaves. Now, how many of you are married in this room? How many of you are married or have ever had a boyfriend or girlfriend? That should be more hands, not less. Okay, great. So almost, almost everyone in the room. Can you imagine this fight? Like, just headed out, and Abraham's like, well, babe, you know, we did get richer because of this, you know. I, I don't think it went over very well. <coughs> Chrissy, uh, my wife was in Costa Rica a few weeks ago, and when she came back, I had lost her car key. And... Um, I told you earlier I have ADD and I have issues. I lose stuff. I have a system for everything. Like I have, like before church, I was looking for my journal I was going to preach from. And I told Christy, help me find it. And it was right here in my Merce. I carry a Merce everywhere I go because I just have all these systems or I break. Uh, and it's, it's not pretty. And so I lost my wife's car key. And she came back and it was gone for a week. And then, and she was upset. Um... A new car I got her uh, in December for, for Christmas, and uh, new, t new for us. And she was upset. And I was like, babe, I'm sorry. You know, it's me. It's, I have ADD. And that didn't go over very well either. And then, <clears throat> but what happened, uh, uh, a little bit of redemption happened. Because one, the next week when we went to football on Saturday, I opened my bag, and there was the key to her car. And I thought, oh, babe, you're going to be so excited to hear this. My system worked. <laughs> I have a bag, and I put your key in it. So it's not lost. I had it the whole time. And, uh, and she was gracious, but maybe a little bit upset. Is Chrissy here? Oh, hey. <laughs> okay, well, it didn't really happen. That, no, I'm just kidding. So anyways, it was, a, it was a little bit, I wouldn't say it was a little bit of a fight. And, um, you know, it's, I'm a frustrating person to live with at times. And, and then yesterday... Um, Christy FaceTimes me and she just had dropped Judah off at school I guess it was Friday and she says hey I took your car key because I couldn't find mine and I was like yeah <laughs> right and she's like I lost my keys I don't know I don't know what happened to them um, and I'm just like oh babe I'm so sorry to hear that <laughs> but I'm thinking like see you're not perfect either and, uh, and, and I might have even said something to her like, I'm definitely, you know, I'm not, I don't want to gloat about this. Did I say that? Yeah. I don't want to gloat about this, you know, but it is interesting how this happened. <laughs> and I was like on cloud nine. I hung, I hung up the phone with Christy. I reached down to get my, this black bag that I take to work every day. And her keys were inside my bag. <laughs> and... I mean, it was a tough moment, you know? It was brutal. And so, you know, Christy was gracious, but I think it took her, it took her a few hours to kind of cool down, especially because of my gloating comments and stuff. <clears throat> but we've gotten better at, at fighting over the years when we have a disagreement or, or one of us feels disrespected or we feel disconnected or those things happen. And so we worked through it pretty fast. Um, but if, if we had this... If we had a, a disagreement, of a, a fight over keys, 
Imagine what it would be like if I told someone, if I told my boss, like, yeah, she's my sister, you can marry her. <laughs> right? So Abraham is walking out of, of, of Egypt, and, and Sarah is with him, and they're walking together. And now let's give, let's give Sarah some empathy for a second and think about it through her perspective. Here she is, and her husband's like, babe, this will be financially good for us at the beginning. Like, how does that feel, right? That feels, she feels, and it's a complex situation because he's like, yeah, but we might have died if we didn't do that. And so legitimately imagine the depth of, of, of despair and, and I would say probably a fight. We don't have it recorded, but just this sense of like, of impossible frustration with each other and the situation. And then if you go to Genesis 13, verse 1, Genesis 13, 1. So Egypt went from Egypt. So they leave, Abraham leaves Egypt to the Negev and his wife and everything he had and lot with, with him. And he became very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. From Negev, he went place to place until he came to Bethel. I don't think this is the right verse. Keep going. To the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. And there he called upon the name of the Lord. So he leaves Egypt and he goes out. And he goes back to the altar in this crazy situation. He, he, last time he built an altar, this same altar, God had just promised him a promise, unbelievable, amazing promise. Now he comes back. My wife is ticked off at me. Um, I'm probably ashamed because of what happened and my mistake. And here I, I come back and I meet with God at the altar. First point, if you're taking notes, is we find peace in the storms of life at the altar of praise. We come back to the altar, the storms of life. When, when life is tough, when things are difficult, we come back just to the altar of praise and God gives us peace at that place. It's a peace we can't get anywhere else but in his presence. Then go to Genesis 13, verse 14. So the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had left, look around from where you are to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. That's a promise. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham went to the, the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents and there he built an altar to the Lord. So an altar of praise is also a place that we recognize and remember the promises that God made in our lives. It's a place we come back to the promise. This is a promise he'd heard before. God reminds him of it, and he just goes back to the altar and meets with God. And so, do you remember that whole story where Abraham uh, pretended his wife with his sister? Yeah, so what's really interesting is, um, let's go forward to... Well, I'm not going to go to the verse, but uh, Abraham makes the same mistake again 25 years later. And this is not a dub, what's called a doublet in, 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 uh, in hermeneutics. Th these are two distinct stories. 25 years later, they're in a difficult place again, and they go before Abimelech, and he's like, yeah, this is my sister. That fight was worse. That one took longer. And you know what he does afterwards? He comes back to the altar. Comes back to the altar. And I think that is put in scripture for those of us that have, have dealt with repetitive failure in the same way, in the same area, and we're like, God, I thought I was free of this. And we end up in that same place again. 
the father, uh, uh, Abraham, father Abraham, he had the same thing that we face. He had these same ruts, this same repetitive mistake 25 years later. Then we go to Genesis 22, and there's another altar. Pastor Ben preached about this altar a few weeks ago. And this is the altar where he takes his son, Isaac, up as the sacrifice. And, um, and we know, I'm not, I'm not going to break down that whole story there, but we know that God is not really planning to kill Abraham's son. And uh, it was, it's God testing him. And then if we go to Genesis 22, 13, Abraham looks up. In the thicket, he sees a ram caught by the horns. He went over, he takes the ram and sacrifices a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so the fourth point here is at the altar of praise, <clears throat> the third point, we find provision that is beyond our sacrifice. When we, when we just meet with God in his presence, we find him providing everything we need. And whatever the sacrifice of praise is that we give him, which sometimes can be hard, he meets us there with more. And then lastly, at the altar of praise, ultimately we connect with the presence of the living God. There are a lot of altars built through the Old Testament. Um, one of the patterns with Abraham is we see that he meets with God at these altars. When you, when you move forward through Scripture, there's so many examples uh, of men and women of God coming into the, the presence of God and actually meeting with him. And this is, this is the ultimate. Um, David, when his, you, you all know the story, David, um, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. Nathan the prophet comes to him. Uh, he writes, he he uh, writes the Psalm 51 out of the space where he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then he says, I started this too high, but we'll try it. He says, Cast me not away from your presence, O God. That's that disconnection. He's feeling shame, like I messed up. But God, please don't take your presence from me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Just saying, God, I want to be with you. His son, his son dies. David's son dies. And as a, as, a, as a baby. And scripture tells us that when that happens, David, he goes, he cleans himself up. He's just a hot mess. And he goes in before the presence of God and just begins to worship and meet with God. See, praise is not something that's just like a, 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 a cheesy, smiley, like, all my praise belong to you, <laughs> right? And sometimes we get that picture of like this plastic, perfect church. Everyone comes in and, and, and the worship leader is smiling and he's just, you know, and everything's, uh, this is the day, this is the day, amen, PTL, right? Praise is not just for the moments where everything is going good. Praise is a way we access the presence of God when our life is falling apart. We have no hope. We don't know how he's going to restore it, but we know that we just need to get in his presence. That song we sang today that says, I'm not enough unless you come, initially it bothered me a little bit because, you know, my wife is a marriage and family therapist. We've done all this study on psychology, and I'm like, man, how damaging, is it damaging for people to think like, just to sing the words, I'm not enough? Um, 
And then I recognize that unless you come, there's a, there's a rhetorical aspect to that because in Scripture, we know that he promises to meet us. He promises to come. He says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And there's this idea that, yeah, I'm not enough unless he comes. But you know what? Every single time he comes. In fact, this is about pursue, but I want to tell you, he is pursuing us. And the only thing that happens that's different is the moment we turn to pursue him, he was already there. He's right there. I was shocked that no one had done the... Um, no one had done, band, you can come up, the study on the altitudes of these different altars. I looked all over for it, and I had to start to, to unpack it myself and recognize that each of Abraham's altars, and some of them are new, some of them he comes back to, and at the end of his life, his life is just scattered with these places where he just met with God. And uh, one of them is in the plains. It's in the lowlands. Another of them uh, is in the highlands between Bethel and Ai. Another of them is actually in Mount Moriah and, and, and could be the place where the Temple Mount is. We, we don't really know for sure, uh, but it was at, at a mountaintop. And so you have this sense, and I believe this is for each of us today, that when you get to the end of life, you look back and you see peaks and you see valleys. But at the end of the day, you see them littered with altars all along the way. And practically what this can look like, let's commit to be here on Sundays with each other. Uh, not out of some religious act. I'm getting a click track in my ear. Hang on. Not out of some religious act or legalism, but because I know that if I'm here every week singing these words, that if I'm here, I'm not going to forget him. If I'm here, I'm going to press through the shame and I'm going to know him. But God, man, my marriage is broken. It's hopeless. And his response is just, just meet with me. Just, just meet with me right here at the altar of praise. But God, would y'all stand with me? We're going to worship in a second. But God, my relationship with my kids is broken. I don't, there's so much water under the bridge. I don't know how it could ever be restored. He just says, meet with me. But God, I just got promoted. I'm doing good. I'm feeling great. Life is going good. And his response, just meet with me. Just come be with me at the altar of praise. Let's just sing this out. I'm not enough. Unless you come, will you meet me here again? Because all I want, come on. Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? Right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't even know if I could do an altar call for this because I really believe it's every single one of us wherever we are in the journey. But right now, God is calling you to meet with him. He's putting, you can feel it. He's putting a desire, almost almost an ache in you to pursue him and to be in his presence. And for some of you, you're on a mountaintop right now. And right now is a revelation, a moment to say, oh my gosh, I forgot. 
I forgot the one who's the reason. I forgot the one who I should acknowledge. And right now he's saying, hey, praise me on this mountaintop. And some of you right now, you're, you're at the bottom. And he's just saying, I want to meet with you. I want to be peace. I want to be provision. I want to remind you of the promises. But ultimately, I just want to be with you. God, I pray for every person here this morning, wherever they're at in their journey, that as we go out this week, that we would be a people that acknowledge you, that praise you, that worship would, would flow in our cars, in our commutes, in our early morning moments, in the yard, in our walks. Lord, in church together as we come and we lift up our voices, that God, we would be a people of praise, meaning we would be a people of the presence that meet with you. God, we love you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said a big amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.